Welcome to Resilient Revenue, a Women in Revenue podcast series designed to magnify the voices, victories, and valuable insights of trailblazing women in revenue-generating roles. Each episode will showcase stories of resilience, mentorship, and self-advocacy. You'll learn exactly how these remarkable women are breaking barriers, redefining success, and showing us the transformative power of unity within the tech industry. So join us as we embark on this enlightening journey toward equality and empowerment in the world of resilient revenue. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Revenue podcast. I am your host today, Hannah Jakover. I am a Women in Revenue board member, and I also help head up the Speakers Bureau. I'm super excited as we have a Women in Revenue member here with us today, somebody who's been involved with the programs for a really long time. We've also had the chance to be connected and work together, and I'm really excited to introduce Sarah Segal. So Sarah is the Director of Demand Generation for Full Story, and I'm going to pass it over to Sarah to give a little bit of an introduction to herself, as well as give us a little insight into her journey, into her role. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for having me. I'm excited to be able to just chat today, honestly, and catch up. Women in Revenue has continued to be just a spur of connections and really strong bonds, and I'm glad it connected to us together. So. I'd like to thank you for having me, me too. Director of Dimension Full Story. And just for a little bit of background, I've been in marketing and sales for a little over a decade. I started out with sales, was actually selling digital marketing to SMBs and commercial companies, as well as, believe it or not, yellow page ads. So that's my kind of rock to say. I get sales. I have a lot of empathy for sales because I was selling a pretty hard product to, to get out there in the late 2000s. But yeah, so I've been in sales and marketing for a while. I shifted over really to marketing from some of my first roles where I was doing sales, but was selling that type of marketing product and thought, hey, like I really like the what I'm selling and being able to talk to clients about it. I think I want to do this more and moved over into marketing. And yeah, I've been here ever since for the past seven years, really in more demand gen digital marketing roles. And my current role with Full Story have been here for a little over two and a half years and actually started in ABM. So I was an ABM manager for about the first eight or nine months and then moved up to fully supporting demand gen, which here is a big piece of marketing operations, performance marketing, and uh, making sure all of those things are working together globally. So I have a pretty awesome team, great company, great product, and yeah, all around exciting times. I love the little like unknown fact around the yellow pages. Do the yellow yeah. pages still even exist? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I have the last yellow pages book that I sold ads into still as memorabilia for myself. I have that tucked away with all my son's <laughs> memorabilia. So I still have that just to remember and humble myself of where I started out at. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my gosh, you need to like put it in a shadow box yeah. or like do something <laughs> cool. <with it. laughs> I love that. Yeah, I know. My son's like, what is that again? I'm like, don't worry. It's before your time. <laughs> yes. You won't probably ever need to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of trends, <laughs> some trends as the yellow pages have been out for a long time. 
Well, I guess not that long. Maybe I'm just being, maybe I just never used them. <laughs> yeah, never think about them. No. Speaking of current trends, what do you see in your role as some of the key trends or shifts in the revenue generating landscape? Honestly, I think there's a laundry list that I could go off of. But if I were to think of the key ones that we're actually trying to action and think about right now, there's two big ones. The one, and I've seen a lot of buzz around this, is how are you marketing and emphasizing marketing and improving your customer experience, right? I think at least in in my experience for the past five years in B2B SaaS, this heavy focus in growth and how are we getting more and how are we just growing at all costs, building out. And since really the last 12 months, but especially these last six months in our org, it's been a big shift to say like, hey, how are we really thinking about our current customers and improving that experience and driving retention and driving expansion, but really a big piece on retention, right? Of we know all know right now, especially in the SaaS space, that budgets are cut, expectations are not cut, and a lot of teams are really being scrutinized for their spend and ROI. So being able to just create that like make it easier for sales to sell by doing the right type of marketing for customers. That's been a really big one and how we're thinking about using data for that, how we're building, like shifting programs that have traditionally always been more demand gen specific to always adding in that customer marketing layer as well. The other piece I'd say is at least for, again, like on our side of what we're seeing is how are we using our tools? Like how are we really showing efficiency with the spin that we're, we've been given by finance, right? Like there, I think a lot of marketing teams have over the last couple of years kind of got used to being provided with all the tools that they want and the spend that they need. And hey, we have all like this arsenal and not as much of a focus on what's your ROI, what's your efficiency, like are you truly maximizing these integrations and making this data work together in a way that's valuable for sales, in a way that's valuable for marketing and the business. And that's something we've been seen a big shift into because that accountability has heightened for our marketing spend and how we're contributing to the business. We've always been like revenue and pipeline focused, but not just spend wise from an ad standpoint, but what's the spend we're putting into our tech as well? And is that driving ROI? So I've just seen that a lot of buzz more around how we're driving efficiency, how are companies and especially marketing and demand gen teams looking to show the business, hey, these investments that we're making are valuable and they're driving the business. Answering the hard questions when they're not and being able to honestly say, actually, no, this is a nice to have. We need to shift and put our money elsewhere where we know we're driving impact. Mm, Super. Both of those are super important. And in terms of skills and strengths wise for both you individually and your team, what are you looking at? Like, how have you adapted to stay ahead of the evolving market and making sure that you are in a position where you can tackle both of those things successfully? Yeah, I'll say I see it kind of in like an internal and external way. Like internally, I've been trying to work with our team and pushing myself and my team to really push to not say yes, right? I think that with so many things shifting with such a heavier focus, like when we know we're in a more of a downturn, right? Like B2B SaaS is more of a downturn. Our markets are in a downturn. And truly, uh, we've kind of been used to saying like, yes, we can support this and let's try to do these new things. 
really understanding like what are getting close to the data and using that as a way to say no to even senior leadership and senior roles has been a big push that I'm trying to help like push myself and push my team to do more. And we've seen, even though it may create some attention at first, being able to have that data as the driver behind it has helped out a lot, right? Of understanding like why we're saying no or why we think we should go with plan A versus plan B. That's a big just skill internally of even confidence, right? Being able to confidently say no, which is really hard for especially more junior or mid-career people who are in marketing, working with sales leaders and working with your RevOps partners or your business partners. I think there's a lot of pressure there. So being able to create that space and create just an appreciation for making data. And it sounds a little cliche, but truly like data-backed decision. And that means being able to be close to the data. So I think that's not necessarily something that's net new, but we've been driving more into because it's helping us make smarter decisions with where we're investing time and we're investing money. Externally, communities has been a big shift for myself and I've continued to push to my team. So shout out, obviously, women in revenue. That's a big one. But over the last 12 months or so, I've got myself in different communities like Mike Rizzo's marketing ops professionals in metadata's demand community. And there's, I know there's more out there I can name off, but there's so much that I've learned and seen and I've screenshotted or copied over and put over to my team or shared out to say like, hey, look at this, look how these other teams are doing this. I just think communities have really blown up in this last year in a good way where people who are real practitioners and real leaders are getting in there and sharing things that I think just before have always kind of been behind a wall or there's never been that space to share it in a way to to action on and just have it for the masses. So that's been a bit of a shift. Like I've made myself and have pushed the team to like, just get involved in communities, even not with an expectation of post every week or anything like that, but just start getting involved and reading and liking and using what you're seeing. And I think it has, like, at least for me personally, it's made me think more like long-term of like, hey, what are some of the changes that we're making? And is it going and what are other teams doing when we're thinking about these changes? How are other teams facing X, Y, Z problem? So that's been, it's kind of a hack rather than just using AI, which I know everyone talks about right now, but I think there's a lot of information just within the people that we know and the communities that we know, rather than having to go straight to the bots first. Mm, I totally agree. I think that the community aspect is so critical right now. And I think to just thinking about the shift from, I think a lot of folks were nervous to start talking about what they know in front of their peers versus in front of their customers or the personas, their leads, their prospects. It feels a little bit more daunting to do it in front of your peers where you are sharing your knowledge and they might be doing something a different way. But I think that once you get over that initial fear and you start connecting within those communities, it can be so valuable both for you as an individual, but also within your role and for your team, for your organization. Absolutely. I'll speak for myself when you when I first came into some of these communities that are especially more tactical, right? And have some of these very specific and tactical Slack groups and Slack channels in there. It can be like, I think us as marketers, oftentimes we have innate sense of competition, right? Like we have this innate mm-hmm. sense of like, oh, I'm doing the best. I know that I'm doing like the top notch and whatever I have out here that we're putting through or this revenue driving, driving campaign, 
I don't want anyone else to like know what that is because I know it's the top of the top. But in these communities, one thing that's been really fascinating for me is like where there shouldn't be and there isn't competition. It is such a, a learning environment. Even when you're in there with marketers from traditional competitors of your business, it's a way to really be able to see like what's going on in the market. How can I get true feedback on anything that I'm working on, on any type of program or initiative, or even just a general question of how do I navigate this workplace relationship or this situation? Because oftentimes just in our own little bubble, we don't have that, right? Like we may have a mentor, which is great. Or we may have a work BFF, which is great. But having a much larger community set who has been, who has experienced that at all levels just makes it so much easier to do marketing, honestly, like to do it in a way that you don't feel like you're doing it alone. In my opinion, B2B marketing has blown up so much in the last decade, but it can still feel lonely when you're really getting down into the nitty gritty. And these communities, they genuinely have created a sense of community. Like there's people I've talked to and met up with in person that I met through communities and it's changed the way I think we do marketing overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I also think it allows you to have the confidence that you can share what you're doing. You can share your approach, but you can also have the knowing that like nobody is going to be able to do it like you do it. Nobody brings the same thing to the table like you do, because we are all going to be bringing our own unique perspectives. And then when you build out a team that has like their own special sauce, like you can't replicate that. You can share all you want, but... Yeah. You really can't replicate that one-to-one. -one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just wanted to go back quickly to the first point you made around using data because I think it's so critical. I feel like the connection between storytelling and data is really clear nowadays, whereas before it was like, you hear the term storytelling and you literally think like almost like there's I think there's like a maturity level around storytelling. And I think that for a long time, marketers heard storytelling and didn't quite understand how to connect that to the data and actually like up level the storytelling, like increase that maturity level of storytelling. Like you're not just saying, explaining like, here's what's happening. It's leveraging the data and using that to be able to justify the decisions that you're making, like it is that critical piece of the story. And it then allows the story to unfold, it gives you all of these opportunities to demonstrate the ROI or push back on things or say no, like yeah. you're talking about. And I think that connection over the years, I feel like just with the availability of data and the tools and technology and maybe the comfort level around what storytelling actually is, I feel like has really been beneficial. Yeah, I think so. I work for Full Story, which in its name speaks about, hey, how do you tell the full story about your customers, about your experience that you're providing, whether that's your website or your mobile app, product, anything like that. And the idea of storytelling has shifted a lot in my mind because as, as a marketer, I've traditionally thought of storytelling from like a content perspective right? Of an experience mm -hmm. of like, hey, what's this story that you're telling people that you want to do X, right? You want people to book a demo. You want people to become, ultimately become a customer. What's the story that you tell them? My mind is shifting internally to think of, okay, how do you think of storytelling from a way to inform even your own market strategy, right? Like how do you put your data together? All these different pieces, which is difficult, 
and becoming even more difficult with the more data that we have. We think intent, website, what's in your CRM, what's in your, like on your social platforms, like all this data is just like almost like data paralysis. And I think the yeah. true key and the marketers that are moving ahead are trying to figure out like, how do you think of data to tell a story to your team and to tell a story to your leadership and to tell a story to like what you're doing? That's been like a shift that I thought of. We need to definitely be telling stories to our customers, but the only way we can really do that accurately is if we know our customers and we have the data to know them. It's like, mm -hmm. so how are we using that to inform us? It's like a very weird, like matrix type circle of like using the data to tell them a story, but us being able to get that story as well. So with using full story itself to understand like, what are people doing on our website more? What are people doing in the product? Like what engagements potentially are customers making that identify them as high value users or potentially identified churn, right? I think there's just little ways that like we're still tapping into how do you really not just tell the story then, but then action on it, right? How do you change the story? And like, how do you understand like what areas of the story can you pull a lever to change? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you make a great point too, particularly for those looking to progress in their revenue generating roles. You said, how do you tell the story to your team? But then how do you tell a story to your leadership? And then how do you tell your story to your board even? You know, as you get yeah. upwards or as you move upwards and progress in your career, your storytelling has to evolve to where you can focus on different audiences I just saw on LinkedIn, I think I was upstairs scrolling, like Kaylee Edmondson had posted about how she was like cussed off of the virtual stage the first time she gave a board report or like her QBR. Oh no. And she was promoting like a, yeah, she was promoting like a webinar that they're doing to help other people learn about, hey, here's a better structure. So like you don't have to go through that experience. And I think it's so important that we're teaching folks that aren't already at that level, right? Like they're a little bit more junior in their roles on how to tell that story. So they're not experiencing like what poor Kaylee had to in that boardroom. <laughs> they know how to yep. tell the story for that audience when they get there, not sitting there being like, oh shit, I've only told the story to the customer or to the team or to my boss, not the board. Because that's a very yep. different story that you're going to be telling. Yeah, what you're saying there is, a perfect point. And I'd love to give Sherry an example. So like, before I do that, your emphasis on audience, I think is the big thing, right? So if I go back to my sales days, like I was selling the same product usually, but the way I would sell it to a construction company versus a dentist versus a big, like a multi-regional law firm was completely different. And that's something that I personally believe has helped me with my career in how do I think of like positioning? Like I think of like, hey, how are you positioning what you're sharing? But an example of this is we work a lot with sales. Like my team, both sides of my team work pretty significantly with sales, especially on the op side of how we're trying to, in the past couple of months, we rolled out a new lead routing system and we're rolling out new ways of attribution and um, a new chat tool, all these different things that are require really close connection with sales, but they also have required us to get approval from finance and have required us to be able to share with our leadership, what we call it our LPC, like our leadership of, hey, this is what's working, like we're moving forward. And I've worked with my team to, to think about like, who is your audience, right? Like we may have, like when we're sharing this an internal marketing team, 
great example of rolling out a new chat tool. It's like, hey, this is cool. We're rolling out this new tool. Here's where it's going to look on the website. Here's how sales is going to use it. These are some of the KPIs we're thinking of. And it's rolled out to that team because that's how our marketing team is going to, to understand. Okay, great. That's how it works. We're excited. But I share with my team, I was like, you can't use the same presentation for sales. It's completely different. Now, it's the same tool. It's the same message, but you can't use this. We have to completely redo this for sales. And that can seem on the back end like, hey, gosh, a whole lot of work. I think that mental muscle that starts being built of like, oh, like, how do you start thinking before you even build something for one audience? Who are all the audiences that you have to attack? And what can be the same across all? Right. Because maybe slide one or two or point one or two also makes sense for sales. But we had to shift to say, okay, for sales, this is how you're going to use it. This is why this is important because it's speed delete now for you. This is going to take away this pain point and this pain point from your team versus also when we went to the LPC, like our leadership board to say, this is the investment that we've made. This is what we're expecting out of it. Here's an example. And like they would also like to see the stuff, right? If we were realistic, like the board and stuff, they like to see like what's happening, but it's much higher up. Like all of those little minutiae and the details, none of that's there. So it's just a, I think it is a big shift for teams to your point, like as you're growing and it's leaders roles to experience that and to be able to help their team learn what those are and set the example for it. Like I push myself on myself, like if I'm going to be telling my team to do this, I need to be giving them examples and showing behind the scenes, this is my thought process, right? To help knowledge share rather than I think oftentimes, and I've been guilty of this myself, of when a team member or when I see something that's like, oh, this is what should change. I go in and change because it's easier versus helping to coach to say, okay, why would you present it like this? Have you thought about this angle and helping them to learn that themselves? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that can be such a such a hard habit to break as a manager <laughs> and a leader is to enable your team and have them move up towards autonomy. But oh, that one's hard. I remember being like, no, like stop, like stop what you're doing just to myself so I can remember, like, I need to tell them, here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I want to change. Here's how I would do it. Or how would you do it? You know, and just giving them the power to do that themselves is so important. But yeah, I think when you're talking about like changing the message for the audience, it's really about like, what are the motivators? What's going to motivate them? Like sales doesn't care unless they're, unless it's going to help them close deals faster. And so understanding what the drivers are behind the pain point or behind the action is so important in that storytelling component. You also presented a great segue for us because I wanted to talk about sales and marketing collaboration. And you and I and many people out there know that like it's the key to revenue growth. It really is. I'm very passionate about that topic. (laughs) I spent a lot of time in my career helping sales and marketing teams align better and working from the strategic side of it to the tactical, to the technical, to the relationship side of it. Like there's so many components to that relationship. But from your perspective, how do you build that successful cross-functional partnership with sales? Yeah. You mentioned like the tactical, the relationship, like all these different pieces. My belief is it starts with the relationship. It's, I've just seen it over and over in every role that I've been in where I've worked with sales and roles where I've been in sales and worked with marketing. That relationship 
is absolutely required. And I'm going to talk about the specifics of that because that's a broad term, right? Relationship. But being able to have like that respect and communication is absolutely critical in war times when things are tough and like maybe pipeline isn't being hit as well as peace times when we're, things are going great and we want to try something new. It's like that relationship is the core. From my perspective, what I mean by relationship is really being able to have some level of constant communication with cells. And I think that starts when you first start in a role, or when you start first start working with cells. I don't care what level you are. As you move up, obviously, it becomes even more important. Like a junior level, it can start with, hey, can I join in on this sales call? Can I have like just a quick one-on-one with the sales rep and then a sales manager? Can I talk to our SDR? Can I sit in or see the recording of the QBRs? Understanding what they're talking about, but also showing, hey, I'm interested. Like that is like an initial kind of open the door. And I think it's really critical that teams don't just immediately just swing that door open and say like, all right, I'm taking over from a marketing perspective. I've seen that fail in the past. So being able to just like start that relationship, start showing like, hey, I want to hear what your pain points are, being open to hear them like sales complain, because it's going to happen. Like there are things that they're going to complain about. But being open to that and being able to understand, like, all right, yes, I hear you. Maybe these are some things that we can work on. But being able to just at least start having that conversation. I'll share an example that was earlier in my role here at Full Story that helps solidify when I think of like relationship with sales. So I was a couple months into the ABM role. ABM was net new. I was working on a commercial team. And I heard before, like when I, after I got the role, that sales was not a big fan of marketing. and I'm just the type to say, like, watch that change. Like, that's not going to stay the same. And we worked, I kind of did that and joined in all calls, listened to what they had to say and any type of we're pushing a new campaign. And before saying, yes, this is what we're going to do. I brought them into that planning session, which is like, hey, just, and not just, hey, what's your idea? Like being able to come to say, this is the data that I'm seeing. Here's, I did an ICP analysis. Can you check out this is the same thing you guys are seeing when you're on the ground talking to sales or talking to customers? Like these are the right personas that you're hitting. So being able to come to the table with, again, data, not to harp on it, but being able to show, hey, I know my stuff. I'm here to help you. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. I think that helped out a lot. We moved forward with that. But later on in the relationship, like they came to the table with an idea that vetted out and made sense. I'd like to caveat to say, I know sales can come a lot of times with ideas, but again, just, I think as you grow in your marketing career and practitioner level, like you see, like, you know, like, yes, this may make sense. We want to do this. No, this doesn't make sense. But I met them in the middle. They had an idea and like showed that like partnership that yes, all right, we'll try this as well. And it worked out. We ended up getting like five or six new customers within like a two month span. It was really, really fast. And that just solidified again, just like solidified, hey, like marketing's willing to work with us. So when they ask things that of our team, like let's make sure that we're listening to them as well and vice versa, right? Sales is one asking, let's make sure we're listening, have like the open communication and like respect between the two just to make it work out. And I'm not in the same role anymore, but I work even more closely with our sales team today. And it's the same situation at this level and down to my team's level too. Like it's have communication, come to the table with data, not just questions and be able to kind of like give and take where it makes sense. Such a good approach. And I I mean, the story that you tell just showcases the foundation of trust building too, of like bringing them in early and 
giving the space to just share and be on the same page of we're talking about the same thing even and then allowing them to contribute and feel like they're in a place where they can share right without somebody saying no because they hear no all the time like sales hears no all day long and so I would be guarded in relationship building if that's what I was hearing every day. And when you have a win, it feels really good. But like for the most part, they hear a lot of no's. So that trust building, I think is super, super important to like have everyone get their guards down so you can be on the same page. You're talking about the same thing. And then it builds that like psychological safety where they feel okay. They feel good about coming to the table and raising their hand and saying something or just sharing, right? Because there's a lot of environments where if they're used to hearing no, they might not feel like they're in an environment where they can share their ideas because they don't want to hear no again from like somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's 1000%. And also add to that, that I think it just in my mind, but one of the other key pieces to it is Aside from like the data itself that you're bringing to the table, having some place to be accountable for what everyone's responsible for, all the different parties that are responsible, a big part of that is ops, right? Being able to make sure you're able to track what is marketing doing, what's marketing supposed to be bringing in or whatever, like if it's net new versus retention, how are you tracking the marketing activities and how are you tracking Mm -hmm. the sales activities, right? And I think being able to make sure that system is in place, which can be difficult sometimes, but having that system in place and having that in place and everyone aware and thumbs up before moving forward in the initiative is so helpful when things go wrong. When things go right, great. But when things go wrong, it's so easy, especially times of like end of quarter or if we're behind the number for like the tendency for fingers to start being pointed. And I think that's another outside of a relationship, having something to go back to say, look, this is what we agreed upon. Is marketing missing the ball somewhere? Okay, great. We are. Let's address that. Is sales missing the ball? Okay, great. Like, let's address that. But without having that foundation of accountability in place, it makes those like kind of anecdotal, well, you were supposed to do this or what happened here? Why didn't this rep follow up? It makes the likelihood of that happening more. And that creates that tension that really does hurt that bond between sales and marketing. Absolutely. I have seen so many cases where it's like SLAs and definitions are the reason why sales and marketing is not aligned. And how easy is it to just focus on those things and fix on those things? It's the foundation. It's it's so, so critical. And it will save you so much time, so many headaches, so many arguments if you have that out of the gate. The SLAs, that everyone agrees to and the definition that everybody is aligned with. Yep. And like you said, and have it out there. And if things change, like as orgs change and adjust, like we're give you an example, we're facing, we're, we're in the middle of like an adjustment right now with we've expanded a ton globally in the last year and a half. So our lead routing may need to adjust to be person-based versus account-based when we're thinking of like who it goes to from a regional standpoint. And thankfully we had, like, we worked earlier this year, which is great. Like we wasn't there for quite some time, but we established at the very beginning of this year, all that information in one place. So rather than it just being like a talk of, well, it's supposed to be this way or that way, um, the conversation with sales management and RevOps and team have been a lot smoother to say like, this is how it was set up and this is why, and maybe it's time to revisit and let's do that collectively and continue to document it versus just kind of. I think it's so easy and especially in like more startup space to move on and move fast. 
there's a time to move mm-hmm. fast, but like as you're growing and establishing to make sure like that documentation is in place so that you can pivot like when you need to and have a reference of why were you with this in the first place. Yeah. Oh, so important. I always use the analogy of having like a map and then you have the actual terrain. When yeah. sometimes the map doesn't match the terrain. And when you're all aligned and you have that foundation, like you work as a team, then you're going to have to update your map. And it's just the terrain changes all the time. And it'd be silly to think that you would never update a map. Like think about Google Maps constantly updating. Think about maps that we look at that are no longer accurate, right? Like they no longer yeah. match the terrain. Mm-hmm. I love that example. <laughs> Thanks. You know, I actually had to use it once. I used it with a client once that was really, really angry because we had a scope change and it was because the map, the SOW did not match the terrain that we went into and there were things that evolved. And so we had this scope creep and that was ultimately the metaphor that I used to explain to the angry clients that I'm sorry, but we have to kind of adjust our approach here. <laughs> okay, so I know you said we not to harp on data, but we are going to harp on data because we're talking about all things revenue and data is like, right, the key piece of that. So I want to hear, and I think obviously being at Full Story, you have such a great perspective on this. How should others be thinking about using customer insights and data to drive that revenue growth? Oh my gosh, we could do probably a podcast literally just on this or a session just on this, but I'm going to distill it down to one question. What is your customer data? I think that simple question can create a quarter's worth, a six months worth of work for some team. Maybe some teams have it in place and that's great. But I think just at that is such a simple question that is going to be different for almost every org and that most teams that I've seen or been a part of, like they don't fully know what that answer is or haven't scoped what all those different touch points are. So that's the first piece I'd say is like, honestly, especially if you're getting the directive down to focus more on customers, which a lot of us are, is map out what are your data points for customers? Is it like, what do you get out of Salesforce? What do you get out of something like your, maybe your product tool? Like we have like full story, right? What do you get from a, a product analytics and digital experience tool like that? And being able to map out all those data points because in a more relatable, like kind of thing more on the B2B side of, I like to relate it to like intent data, which intent is also part in there of customers, but there are so many intent data points that even that hasn't been fully tackled. So I think, First off is understand at a minimum, what are your key data points for your customers? And from there, like tying that to like, what are your goals for your customers? Some orgs aren't concerned with expansion right now. They're really concerned with retention. Some vice versa. Others really want to figure out, like think about customer love score or NPS. Like I think that's just understanding like what's the business? How's the business thinking about customers? Because that's a great Like the customer experience is always outside of just marketing. So there's always other internal stakeholders that you can connect with to understand like how are they thinking about customers and what are the pain points that we're seeing with customers or we need to drive with customers and using that to be like, okay, we have this set of 50 to 100 customer data points. These are the 10 that we need to focus on and distill down to figure out how we action. I'll share that we're thinking about that ourselves and how our marketing team 
uses product analytics within Full Story more often. And this is new terrain for my team. And I think new terrain for a lot of B2B marketers, but not for B2C marketers. And it's really interesting to think of, hey, how B2C marketers, like they're so, it's so transactional that they are in that data so much. So it's like how to B2B get even more into that like customer, like product analytics data. That's what our team's working on right now of how are we thinking about like product usage? How do we port product usage into our systems like Marketo to be able to create different types of segmentations for personalization outside of just our standard ICP pieces? Because again, it's just a whole new environment when you think of that data. And lastly, I'll add on that, that over the next, like my prediction, like hot take over the next 12 months, is that's going to be even more important as GDPR continues to rise. Like there was just updates in the APAC region with GDPR. So another effort there as the importance of first party data rises and the decrease of cookies, like having those data sets and like product analytics and web analytics, right? Just understanding what people are doing on your website and being able to go in and truly analyze that is going to be so much more critical for marketers. It's not even just about like campaigns or how we're reporting. It's true about understanding customers, like understanding, like, why do they like our product? What do they not like about it? And but using that to truly inform your marketing suggests just the, like numbers, right? Because the numbers tell one part of the story, but being able to actually tie it to what are they doing? Like, can I watch what, like watch a session or something like that to see like, okay, this is really what my customer is experiencing. And that's what should impact my marketing strategy versus just, oh, this is like, Exit are are converting. Let me target them. Mm-hmm. It totally goes back to what you were saying around storytelling too, right? And yeah. like leveraging that data to understand, right? Not just to have it, but to understand why, like you say, why do they love it? What are they doing in there? And then how can I use that data to further tell a story to whatever audience it is? I think too, thinking about like the B2B go-to-market trends also, and how data and customer insights and product data are becoming so important as we see PLG exploding. Product-led growth is, everyone's talking about yeah. that now. And you know, at Mad Kudu, we were ahead of the curve on that. And we would have a lot of conversations around, hey, we want to do PLG, but we don't know how to get our product data we don't want to get our product data plus this data plus like from all of these different disparate systems into one model. And that was something that that Matt Kudu was able to provide. But I think that people are starting to really think about that. Well, if I want to take this product-led approach, I'm going to need that data. I'm going to need a lot of it and I'm going to need it within the systems that allow me to report, that allow me forecast and do all of the things that I'm already doing. But with that data incorporated. So I think that that's another angle to look at it as well. Absolutely. And I love that you pointed out, it was hard for you guys at first to get that data. And I think that's like setting the reality is like, it is hard AF to really get some of this data sometimes. And it's one of the pieces, especially at in like maybe like a more of a mid-sized company or even like some startups, depending on like how it's set up, like you don't own those data points. So having to go and find them and make the case to that audience, right? Whether it's a product manager or CX or someone else that, hey, can you spend the time to work with me to show me how to get this data 
or like we're working with our engineering team right now to pull it into our right systems and like making the case that, hey, this is worth your time. Can you put this on your backlog to get this done? Like, it's not as easy as like, oh, yep, I know these metrics. There's a lot that goes into to your point of being able to put it into a model or make them usable. Because being able to see the data is like a third of the battle. You actually mm-hmm. need to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Okay, well, as we are winding down with our time, which has been so lovely, I would love to hear from you just something that's a little more centered around our mission at Women in Revenue, because we are really wanting to, with this podcast, inspire and educate people through stories of successful women like yourself that is that are in these revenue generating roles. So I'm curious if you could share a story or some words of inspiration just around the power of women's leadership and the impact that it can have specifically on driving revenue growth within organizations. Yeah. Back first is the idea of community. And I found women in revenue before my current role when during COVID, when I was in a little bit of a dark place, like from a career standpoint, right? I was realizing I wasn't in a career that I was passionate about and not with not doing what I was passionate about. And it wasn't like, I didn't have many of those connections with other women. Like a lot of my leadership at the time wasn't. And I found women of revenue and it was truly a catalyst for me to not only connect with women like yourself and other amazing women in the group, but also just the idea of, Hey, look, there's all these other female leaders out there that seem to be enjoying what they're doing or passionate about what they're doing. I deserve more. Like I deserve that as well. And push me to make, to make the change, to look for a new role. And I'm so thankful I did because now I'm in a role where I have an amazing female lead. My team is all female actually. And they're total badasses, like literally a complete team of badasses. And that's helped me out. And I'd say specifically from a leadership level, as women, especially in like, as you're getting, I think like higher in your career, it's so important to have people in your corner, whether that's a mentor or your manager, whoever else it can be that have like relatable experiences and can help guide you to say like, Hey, like, yes, I've been through that too. Or yes, like I understand like this may traditionally be like a door that's been closed, but like, this is how I opened it. And that's been my experience. Like the last two and a half, almost three years with, in my current role, with having a female leader who is like, that I admire and am inspired by. I think that's really important because it's not just about male or female or non-binary. It's like someone who truly like, it's, you're inspired by as well and who you feel is helping bring you up. So that's been great. And my other push would be for just for ladies, go find your crew like raise your hand, right? Like raise your hand. I, I know before our call, I shared with you, but I think there's oftentimes this little like voice in the behind our heads. It's like, oh, you don't need that. Or, oh, like, no, like you're not even not worthy of that or not part of that. But I've raised my hand more in the past like year and a half with Women in Revenue than ever before. And it's opened up doors to be involved in like the annual Women in Revenue report. I've been a speaker. I've like here, like talking to you and I've got a mentor. I've been a mentor so I just think it's so critical for women, like just to raise your hand and get connected, even though how, regardless of how scary it is, because it can be lonely when working remote and being in these roles. So like having that power of, of a group and a power of ladies that you can connect with is, is so valuable. 
Mm, I'm so happy that you've had that experience and we're grateful for you as a member and yeah, power in numbers, power in numbers, especially women, because together, like we can do some pretty badass things and a lot of revenue generating things and a lot of other badass things too, while we're doing the revenue generating as well. So yeah. We're grateful to have you and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your story and your experience. And I am excited to continue to watch your journey. Yes, same. Thank you again for having me and everyone who's out there listening. If you're not part of Women in Revenue, get on board. It is an amazing community. Thanks, Hannah. That's right. Thanks, Sarah. And that wraps up another episode of Resilient Revenue. These narratives are more than just personal triumphs. They embody the collective journey that we undertake as we strive for a future where every woman, no matter her career stage, location, industry, or demographic profile, has the opportunity to excel in her chosen field. Women in Revenue exists because we know amazing things can happen when driven, talented, bottom-line-oriented women are fired up and collaborating to grow their careers and organizations. We invite you to join our amazing community of 7,000 plus members. If you'd like to become a member for free, head on over to womeninrevenue.org to join today. See you next time on Resilient Revenue.